Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello. Hello. Hey. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. How are you, uh, how are you holding up? I'm fine. I got real overwhelmed and stressed yesterday. Yeah. And then um, I took a little break, and I feel better today. Um, How are you? Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, I do know. Things are. Things could go a lot of directions, but uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I'm hearing, you know, the social distancing takes a real toll on people, and it's a real yeah. sacrifice, and there's this sort of thing of like just you should be glad because a lot of people are suffering and dying and really sick but i think uh every like that sort of policing of who's suffering more in these situations is really not helpful and uh that everyone who's making different levels of sacrifice should hopefully feel that their (laughs) their right to um you know lament their own isolation and take it seriously and everything is uh mm-hmm. yeah there's always someone suffering more than more than you but it doesn't mean that you can't express your concerns so ho- hopefully yeah, yeah i think that's a really nice point and i'm grateful for you making it because i i have just felt guilty or like not entitled to really any amount of stress given that i'm fine anyway even mm-hmm. if this even if this podcast and our discussions are very skewed toward people who are, uh, you know, likely to remain personally healthy, it's going to affect us all in different ways. Um, but mm-hmm. we need to do a better job of, uh, you know, trying to understand everybody else's uh, uh, s- challenges in helping them, I think. For sure. I- I'm moralizing too much. Sorry. I- I'm, you know. Yeah, we don't come to you for that. No, yet. no, 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 no. We come. <laughs> we want information. For me, it was the, about medicine. Me, it's the jokes and information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And... I'll go to my pastor for the moralizing. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, there are people for that. Y- yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I've also been hearing a lot about flattening the curve, and I'm worried that uh, we are not flat enough. That's the idea that we're going to spread out infections over time so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. Um, how are you feeling like we're doing on that right now? I feel like it's usually presented as this binary, like stopping climate change or preventing climate change. Like we're either going to do it or or we're not. And we are much more on the course in the United States of kind of what we're doing with climate change, which is more than nothing. Um <laughs> But not enough to prevent serious damage and uh, um, drastic immediate action. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's it's, it's it's not a problem mm-hmm. on the same scale. Uh, th- this is something that we'll eventually uh, get under control with with vaccination. But th- the um, scale of our you know sacrifice is not enough to prevent rationing and I don't know how catastrophic that's going to be but we're going to be somewhere in between this 
the scale, the, you know, the, the diagram everyone has seen of like two different curves, one of which is yeah. safely underneath the line and one of which is way, way over. Um, we're going to be somewhere in, in between that mm-hmm. level. And we have we still have some control over how that ends up. Well, and I, so this is why social distancing is so important right now. Yeah, and it's going to remain important. And and I think we need to think a little bit more about long-term strategies too, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll continue to be able to address, but this is not yeah. um, some of what we're doing. <laughs> it both seems totally unsustainable for people to just simply stay at home, and it also seems inadequate that we um, are having to ration some types of healthcare already, and we can't keep doing that. Um, so I need to get better at solutions and thinking about how this is gonna, I don't know. Yeah. It's all on you, Jim. Well, I'm trying. You you could throw out an idea once in a while. (laughs) Oh, is that my job? Sorry. I'm (laughs) getting a little defensive these days. Uh, I do have a question because you mentioned climate change. And one thing, I mean, if that is a, a fair analogy in broad strokes. Sort of. One of the reasons we failed at uh, really doing what we should combating climate change is one of our primary strategies is just to rely on the goodwill of individuals. Yeah. Um, and it really what we need is drastic government action on that because it just can't, it's a tragedy of the commons problem. And it seems like to, to that degree, this is similar. Like we, we, you know, a lot of people are going to do their best, but, you know, people are making individual decisions every day about, do I, you know, do I go to work or do I try to contribute to, to mitigating this existential but abstract threat in the future? You know, I've got my life to live today. And I don't even mean selfishly, like there are people going to bars at at St. Patrick's Day, but there are people who like need to go to work. So it seems like, to the degree that these are similar problems, just the kind of radical drastic action that's needed is very unlikely to be taken by collectively by 300 million people at once in the way it's needed to. Right. Well, sort of. Um, I mean, it's probably always going to rely on individual decisions too. It's this mix, the same mix. Yeah. Right. So, so we're, some of the social distancing action being taken is working to flatten the curve, but we are we're sort of at a point where we haven't done an, enough or moved quickly enough to prevent some amount of overwhelming of the healthcare system in some places. Is that right? Uh, yeah. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like you've been, you're, you're in touch with doctors and stuff, right? So we're going to, we're going to call a doctor today. Yeah. I've been trying to kind of just <laughs> constantly texting all the doctors I know and calling people and being like, where are you now? How's it? Because when things heat up in countries, it goes real quickly. Um, uh-huh. But as far as whether we're overlo- overwhelming the healthcare system, um, I'm trying to keep a close eye on that as it unfolds. Mm-hmm. So you have you have somebody you want to talk to today? Yeah. One of the people who I've been in touch with about how hospitals are preparing for this surge in the United States that we've already seen in places like uh, Spain and Italy and, and China uh, uh, is Stephen Thomas, who is a professor of medicine and the chief of infectious disease at the Upstate University Hospital in uh, Syracuse, New York. And he's overseeing this sort of orchestrating this plan between a couple uh, uh, hospitals and clinics up there. What kind of plan? 
uh, this plan for for dealing with this surge in cases of respiratory disease and fever. And so they're kind of trying to. They're at a presumably a lot of hospitals right now are not currently seeing a surge or it's just starting, but they're trying to prep themselves for what's coming. Yeah, if you look at every other country, there has been suddenly your emergency room, if you have not mm-hmm. prepared well for this, it is full of people who are presumably infected with this and there may or may not be a shortage of tests, but um, at some point you have to be judicious about who gets to go upstairs and who gets to be admitted to the ICU, presumably, because our hospitals are designed to function at you know, about 90 or 95% capacity. It so it's not like there's a ton of extra space sitting around. Yeah, there's not really a financial a incentive mm-hmm. to uh, keep your operation staffed and have all this extra space for a potential worst-case scenario that happens once in a lifetime. You know, so mm-hmm. these are so emergency plans are being made about exactly how to deal with this, including they they started a call center where people can call in and, you know, do, avoid having to go to see their doctor or come to the emergency room and try mm-hmm. to triage that. And then they're they're getting together people from all different elements of all different fields and all different parts of the hospital and their their lawyers and their the executives and trying to develop a plan for if the worst case scenario hits, how do you decide who who gets what? How do you allocate yeah. limited resources um and it could get pretty grim and i hope it doesn't but i i just you know thought it'd be interesting to to talk with him and check in with just how he's feeling right now he's the head of infectious diseases does he have special expertise in pandemic (laughs) prep yeah i think he previously done work with the military and studied and had drawn up plans for this sort of thing. He's one of the people who have thought about these worst case scenarios in a way that um, felt kind of abstract. And people thought, oh, yeah, I mean, it definitely could happen, but we're not going to invest in the national infrastructure and planning in the way that we should, because it's probably not going to. And he was one of the people who were trying to yeah trying to raise the alarm and trying to be like no it really really can happen um so usually the models have been with influenza and that's what that's what dr thomas has has modeled in uh, working with others and just thought about ideas about what are the obligations of physicians and hospitals and communities during those times in terms of do you allocate resources based on who came to the hospital first or who needs things most, and if so, how do you define that, And or who's most likely to benefit from a given resource? You know, these are things that are worth opening up the national conversation about right now before they're okay. immediately at our doorstep. It's basically what he's yep. been telling me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm Sorry, ready. that's kind of grim, right? Yeah, okay. Well, it maybe is, we but just, this is where we are now. So I'm, yeah, well, let's just know, see how he's feeling be a, now. Be an adult and maybe, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see how he's feeling now and how prepared he's feeling. Hopefully it's reassuring. Okay, and hopefully that will be helpful to listeners. Um, yeah. Hey, hey Stephen. can here. we all hear each other? Oh, hey. Hey, hey Stephen. Hi. Thank you for taking time. I'm sure it's a really, I, I mean, I know it's a really busy period for you, but just to catch up, 
So you, you see patients, but also have been helping to develop the hospital's plan for taking care of more patients than usual. Is that right? Right. So when something like this happens, we activate what's called an incident command. And uh, the command has a commander. And, and for this particular incident, I'm the incident command commander. And where but are we in the yeah, incident that, right now? So we transitioned from uh, prevention to mitigation uh, yesterday with the identification of our first two cases. So how fast are you expecting to see increase in cases? So I expect there to be um, a pretty steep rise initially. Um, you know, we're, we're sending probably anywhere from 35 to 50 tests per day. So these are uh, test requests per day. So these are people that come in, uh, they're symptomatic either with, uh, you know, systemic uh, febrile syndrome. So people with uh, fever and muscle aches and um, fatigue, and, you know, maybe they have cough, maybe they don't. Um, and there's no diagnosis or people that come in with a frank respiratory uh, syndrome. So, uh, uh, cough, shortness of breath, uh, something like that. So we're sending off about 35 to 50 tests per day um, just from our emergency department. You and I first spoke because you had done work modeling these sort of uh, disease X scenarios and talking about worst case scenarios of, of, of pandemics and that this pathogen, that this this virus may actually be one of those worst case scenarios. So, uh, and one of those things is rationing of healthcare, you know, uh, having to be judicious about who gets the medicines and who gets the oxygen and the ventilators and the ICU beds. And I'm wondering how you're feeling now about uh, your hospital or the U.S. generally running into the sort of situation that we've seen in Italy, which has uh, seen at least in, in several places, a real overload of the system. Right. Well, so, I mean, we, where we are now with, you know, two cases in the county uh, yesterday, um, we're still well within our operating capacity. Uh, but I, I do believe that that's going, uh, that that's going to be tested. You know, the hope is that um, although we're going to see a steep rise, that at some point that rise is going to sort of plateau um, yeah. and it's just going to, you know, and that it'll be below what the surge capacity is and we won't have to make these decisions. That being said, we are actively putting, um, we're actively putting a multidisciplinary group together to talk about this concept uh, of rationing care because the time to make those <laughs> The time to have a framework for making those very difficult decisions is not, you know, at the time when you're at the bedside with the patient and uh, or two patients and one, you know, one resource and trying to make that decision. It should be done in a, a proactive, prospective, fair, open and transparent manner so that, uh, you know, doctors are, are in the, you know, doctors can remain in the business of taking care of patients and not in the business of making uh, decisions about uh, uh, resource allocation and right. what is fair and what's not. Right, right. Y- y- you know, the possibility is that you run out of ventilators uh, or run out of 
uh, people to to operate the ventilators. You know, what are the you know, we want everyone to understand the stakes of the importance of this social distancing. So in a worst case scenario there, if you are taking into account how much someone needs a ventilator, you could foreseeably get to a point, and people have elsewhere in the world, where someone is hooked up to a ventilator who could potentially um, be saved, and, and another patient comes in two days later who could clearly stand a better chance of survival if they had that ventilator. And there would ha- have to be difficult decisions made to take one person off the ventilator and give it to someone else. Uh, am, I, am I setting the stakes there correctly, at least in a hypothetical way? Um, deciding to allocate a resource to somebody else um, is, is, I think, a little bit different than actively withdrawing somebody from a resource to give it to another person, if that makes sense. So yeah. the active versus passive, you know, the passive of two people in front of you, neither has the ventilator and you make a judgment of who has the higher likelihood of making it through this illness and, and, and surviving. Uh, that's one thing, but to have one person on a ventilator and another person come into the ED, for example, and you saying, Oh, you know what? I'm going to cut my losses on this one and give this ventilator over to this other person. That's a much more ethically, uh, complex decision, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I trust that. I just want to have uh, introduced that the concept that these are the sorts of decisions that people could be facing in a worst-case scenario. So, you know, take the when, – when the things like hand-washing and uh, not going to a restaurant feel really cumbersome, maybe you can keep in mind uh, these sorts of scenarios, which would be far, far worse – uh, for us to have to encounter, and um, I mean, I, I take it that you're here, you're saying right. that that would be a, a very rare case, but uh, the, at some point there'll be rationing decisions in some way that have to be made. If, if it's not about ventilators, it's at least about who gets a monitoring in a hospital and who gets their elective surgeries sooner rather than later, or who gets, um, you know, yeah. But no, so that's a, you know, I mean, that's a very, uh, so that is a. A, a really good example, I think, because it's 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 happening, right? So there are hospitals, um, there are hospitals all over the country right now that are taking elective, you know, that are stopping elective surgeries for a period of time. And so these are people that have medical problems uh, that require a surgical solution, and um, they may not be life-threatening, but doesn't mean these people still don't have medical problems. And those things are being pushed. A couple of months down the road, right? There are people that, you know, need to see their physician to manage their hypertension and other things like that. And they are uh, pushing all of those. So already that's a form of, uh, you know, that's a form of of rationing uh, care or at least withholding care in response to this pandemic and things that have to be done to try and, uh, you know, weather weather the storm. Right. we're always in a state of rationing resources, right? Just think of organ donation. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't have enough, you know, we don't have enough organs for all the people that need them. And so, um, you know, they have, they have processes in place for how that can be done in a fair and equitable, uh, a fair and equitable manner. Um, yeah, right, right. Can I, can I ask just, I'm curious, have you ever, have you ever encountered anything like this in your career? Do we have any comparisons uh, or is this pretty unprecedented? Um, 
I, I think that the reality of this is unprecedented. I think hypothetically, this scope, the scope of this type of problem has been thought about um, before. Um, you know, it was like how, with, how so, like in yeah. sort of hypothetical disaster pandemic planning scenarios, like what if something like this happened? Exactly, right? So, um, and now it's uh, happening. Yeah, so, exactly, yeah. So, like, you know, pandemic flu, you know, they modeled that they would have these, uh, you know, different groups would have scenarios and tabletop exercises around you know, mega cities and outbreaks in mega cities and what would happen, but nothing, this is as, this is as real, um, this is as real as it gets, right? I mean, there is no question that we are in the middle of it now. Do you, I guess when you were studying these things and planning for these things, I'm curious for me as a, as a lay person, sure. I've heard that these kinds of things could happen. I know they were hypothetical, but uh, I don't think I really, in some way, believed they would happen in my lifetime. It was so abstract. I'm curious right. what it feels like for you, seeing something that you planned about hypothetically become real. Um, part of me is quite calm about it, just because uh, it's been thought about, you know, it's been thought about so much and for so long, and um, uh now that it's here, it's kind of like, okay, it's here. And the anticipation is over. Um, you know, it's like what I told, it's like what I told my team yesterday when we were alerted to the fact that there were two cases, I said, okay, everyone can now take a breath. It is over. The anticipation is over. We no mm. longer have to worry about that because it has now happened. And now we can transition into, uh, um, you know, executing the plans that we came up with. So part of it is a little is sort of a calm acceptance of that this is where we are. Um, part of it is uh, a, a disappointment in a way that there were so many people uh, and so many organizations that have been um, trying to inform uh, decision makers um, uh, that that uh, in the you know kind of geopolitical uh, uh, space that this was. A possibility and potentially imminent and there were so many planets that we could see coming into alignment and so many signals and to not have those taken seriously or for, for to not have um you know people able uh to visualize what we could visualize and it and it wasn't because it was a bunch of scientists trying to communicate with non-scientists there was no communication gap it was just an unwillingness um it was an unwillingness to believe for, for, for one reason or another. Um, part of it was, um, well, we have to make decisions about allocate, you know, resource allocation and funding and other things such as that. And uh, right. um, you're talking about the hypothetical and we have to deal with the, uh, uh, what's real and in front of us right now. And right. so part of it was that. Um, I think the other part is that uh, is, and this is not an, there's a little bit of this in me, not, and I'm trying not to let it get to, to become more than what it is right now. But um, when I when I when I still see people who uh, or hear people who are not taking this as seriously as they should, um, or are not adhering to social distancing, you know, pleas for social distancing, and who are um, 
you know, as was mentioned earlier, are more concerned about the impact on um, themselves instead of impact on the larger society and community. Um, it, it's it's just a, it's a little it's a, a little disappointing and a little deflating um, because you know good public health interventions um, like the ones that are being talked about ad nauseum by Dr. Fauci and others these non pharmacologic interventions they could make such a huge difference and they could make a huge difference in a timely manner um, and save lives and reduce opportunity costs and all of these other things. And people just still can't, uh, in some areas, just still can't seem to get their, you know, wrap their arms around, um, around that. So. So do you feel, uh, afraid personally, or have you gotten a sense from any of your team of feeling any fear, anxieties about treating, you know, if things get really busy and you have a lot of cases and, um, there have been reports in Italy of uh, and in China of healthcare workers, yeah, uh, getting seriously ill, even you know mid-career right. healthy people. And is there what's the temperature check right now in terms of uh, trepidation about that? Uh, so, so personally, I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, we we have the personal protective equipment that we're supposed to have. We've been you know, fit tested for the masks. We have been trained in how to use it. Um, you know, we have we have pretty good systems in place to identify people over the phone before they even show up uh, at our facility. You know, so I, I feel like, uh, and we're lucky in this ma- in this matter. You know, we have we have the resources that we need. We have the training we need. We have the expertise that we need, and uh, just people have to avoid. Uh, non-productive emotions like panic and just rely on your training and it'll be it'll be okay well i know everyone uh a, a lot of people are thinking uh thinking of the healthcare workers who are putting themselves potentially at risk right now and feeling grateful for for the work that you and others are doing and i am among them and i think Catherine's among them for sure <laughs> okay well i i uh i'm uh i'm quoting mark twain a lot uh, these days and uh uh, I had to look it up to get the actual, uh, I remember it in a different way, but it is attributed to him, you know, courage is not the absence of fear. It is acting in spite of it. And um, that's what we're asking from our, you know, our medical professionals. So we, we, are, we went into this business for a reason, um, and that reason remains the same. And it's even more important now than ever to be in touch with uh, why uh, you went into this field, and it is okay uh, to be afraid, but we're asking people to do their job um, despite having that fear. And uh, and when they do that, that's what I think. Uh, you know, that's what I think courage is. Well, I think uh, hopefully people on the outside of the, the healthcare system will have your back with the social distancing as well as part of the same fight. And um, well, I hope. Uh, I hope everyone stays inside and listens to your podcast and reads your uh, reads your article. Oh yeah, that will thank, keep you. <laughs> that'll, thank you. That'll keep us all safe. <laughs> It'll put them to sleep. Thank- that's for sure. Hey, well, you know what? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank Take you. Care. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Take it easy. Bye bye. Hey. Hey. Um, 
the healthcare workers who are facing fear right now and incurring yeah. this risk versus like the people who are complaining about, I mean, to the point yeah. I was making, it's all valid, but you are contributing to this bigger cause and people, other people are putting themselves more at risk than you. So, you know, like stay yep. out of the bars. Yep. Totally. Totally. We're not used to collective sacrifice. No. In, at least I will only speak for my generation. <laughs> we millennials. It, it, it helps me when I'm thinking about how, like genuinely depressingly isolated i've been feeling in recent Mm -hmm. days that um it's contributing to something it's for a purpose um not not just for For preventing like obviously we all know like you're you're preventing other people from getting sick but you're actually um making other people's jobs easier and less terrifying um, right, right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to let you go. I'm sure you have a lot to do, and I am going to no, um, put I'm this done. episode up. Chilling. And uh, then, um, yeah, like stop looking at Twitter. Uh, one thing we will say, just uh, if anybody hadn't heard this yesterday, we have an email now, socialdistance at theatlantic.com. Feel free to email us with questions, comments, feedback, whatever, whatever we're open and would like to just interact with people <laughs> concerns or solutions. <laughs> you can, if you know what we, we can't should be doing. only talk to each other, um, but also call in. We have a phone number. Let me find it. Uh, the phone number is two zero two six, four, two, six, four, eight, seven. Leave us a message. Uh, we may play it or call you back. If you leave us your phone number, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you later. Good luck out there. Um, Are you talking to me? I hope, uh, all, all of us. I hope we're all well. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Okay. Talk okay. To you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. Bye. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's beyond zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our beyond zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero.